Hi, I'm James Richardson with a quick word on the audio treats The Athletic have in store this season. Three times a week you get the award-winning Totally Football Show with the likes of James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Carl Anker and Rory Smith and me. Uh, Mark Chapman hosts The Athletic Football Podcast a flashy four times a week with David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many others. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast will have all the Women's Super League coverage off the back of their brilliant Euros and the offside rule is back too with weekly episodes. That's not all. There are eight dedicated club shows. There's Adam Hurry's joyous football cliché show, Michael Cox's insightful athletic football tactics podcast, the offbeat TIFO football podcast, and a revamped football manager show too. You can get all of these shows wherever you find your podcast or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Is it ridiculous to suggest that Ryan Sessegnon could be yeah, so good that he can good. make the World Cup? He can make the World Cup squad. I oh, know that is ridiculous. The second half, of that is ridiculous. <laughs> the first half is Ryan Sessegnon. England, England don't have anyone to play on the left. Yeah, hello everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the world famous Tottenham Hotspur podcast, the podcast that is award deserving at the very least, and is uh, obviously <laughs> um, because we are coming back now for the new season twice a week, so we're at least better than the Batgirl film, which has been thrown into the dustbin. Um, I don't know how upset any of my colleagues are about that, but there you are, my colleagues, they include the full gang, because this is the season predictor bun fight that we promised you last week. So with me uh, today are Jack Pitt. Brooke, uh, James Moore, Charlie Eccleshare, I'm Danny Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. It is the big predictor, um, and I happen to think this is perhaps the most difficult football season ever to predict. Five substitutes, World Cup, all those sorts of things. So while everyone's getting their minds in gear um, about what we are going to say in the predictions, uh, there's a chance for James. I know that you've been absolutely pawing the ground, (laughs) pawing the ground um, about... Um, about another television programme, um, obviously now that Batgirl has been cancelled, um, the most important thing in your world is the, the new documentary All or Nothing About Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, another farcical production. Um, I, I can't, and I'm sure by the time this goes out, uh, most people would have seen this clip of Arteta prepping Arsenal's players for a game away at Anfield by bringing a few sort of Medium. I mean, Dan, you're in your music business. Mm. They're not massive speakers, though, are It's they? no Woodstock, it is it? Let's be honest. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't creating, you know, a, a massive racket. I wouldn't say that was an entirely uh, faithful uh, recreation of the atmosphere at Anfield, which, which you know is is an overstated thing. And that game was like in October. I don't think there would have been an amazing. They, they were playing whatever. Yeah, to, 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 for those who haven't seen it, he essentially brings out a couple of speakers, the like of which your teenage daughter might have for for a, for <laughs> for a, you know an eight an eight person party and plays. You'll never walk alone over it. It was hilarious, wasn't it? But I just can't see like one. Your Arsenal and you're purportedly like a massive club, so your players should be like conditioned to play in those kind of matches anyway surely and and two that's just like the activity of a non-league manager like that like you know someone managing leatherhead or someone going away <laughs> to a big club in the fa cup i mean it's mad that this guy has done i can't look the, the spurs amazon documentary was so embarrassing yeah it was really embarrassing There were some nice bits in it but it was largely embarrassing the, I, I can't i can't fathom a manager, like a supposedly modern, forward-thinking manager, 
in the year 2022 doing stuff like that, getting the club photographer in to do a team talk. Well, I think... I think I'm, yeah. not, I know, I'm fine, they won the game. Yeah. But I, I put it to you, Danny. This is the North London derby last, what, October, November? Yeah. October. When, September. September, sorry. Thanks, Charlie. When the actually um, clearly The other game was them. November as well. The game you said was October, the Liverpool game was November as well, for the record. Yeah, While I'm correcting you, I may as well do it one the, the autumn. Yeah. The leaves were brown and dying. So they won that game 3-1, but I put it to you that it wasn't that team talk that decided the game. It was Nuno's where he told the Spurs players, don't bother with midfield. No. Don't need one. No. It, 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 that was the decisive team talk for that game. I mean, the 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 first of all, the Arteta's thing there, I think it might have been a kind of message to Julian Nagelsmann, who really does set up extraordinary big screens. Yeah, of, a massive screen, yeah. That's uh, quite cool, though. And, and uses see, drones and all the rest. Of, he's way ahead of all the rest of I mean, gimmicks. Um, and he, look what I've been I've been down to. Where would you even get a speaker that small these days? I haven't known a speaker that small <laughs> for 30 years. You know, if it doesn't if it doesn't arrive on the back Curries. of a, on the back of a Pantechnican, um, I'm not interested. Yeah, te- te- Technics or whatever they're called in those days. Dixons yeah. is that still? Yeah, yeah one of those. All, and the second all of these thing, dropped and shut down, and there's a reason. And the second thing is, it reminded me of is the way they used to train police horses because they wanted to get police horses <laughs> used to the aggravation they might face at say, industrial <laughs> disputes um, or big football matches. You'd see this film of a, a gentleman riding, oh, usually a, a gentleman, often a woman, riding a police horse, and there'd be some other police cadets desultory banging together a couple of pots and pans to try and recreate the atmosphere outside a football ground or at Grumwick's. Um, it was it was nonsense. It just it. I, I never get it. I, I, it's the one thing you can't replicate. I think you know the the, the pressures of penalty shootouts. I understand that, and and the blinking the blinking crowds. So thank you for bringing that to people's attention. Make sure you see it, everyone. Um, Arteta with his. T- I mean, it was like when you were, when you were at school and you were, and somebody had a massive funk box and you still had a, a sort of transistor radio carrying around <laughs> with you. It's like, it's like the transistor radio moment for everybody. All right, um, we're going to start for the remainder of this podcast. James and Jack and Charlie and myself will be giving our views, our predictions for this very unpredictable season. Let's start at least, um, up to, uh, maybe optimistically, I'll start because you're up there top left on my screen, Charlie. Um, the question I'm going to ask you all to answer, have we collectively, individually, ever been more optimistic about the start of a Premier League season with Spurs? Not for a while, Um it definitely does feel very optimistic and that's the view it's been interesting talking to people in and around and I think that is used correctly there the club um, who there is a real feeling of positivity I think the players really believe in what they're doing and having had the full pre-season there is a real mood of optimism I mean I don't know after James you'll remember better than me after finishing second in 2016-17 I guess though that was going into then being at Wembley wasn't it so there probably wasn't the same level of optimism yeah there was definitely I mean there's kind of a, a sense of excitement for the future but I think in the sort of short to medium term there was a certain degree of uncertainty I mean that was you know they ended that season really well Second half of the season, I think they dropped uh, kind of like eight points or whatever. They were incredible. Yeah, they were in amazing yeah. form. It looked in really good nick. Like it was still broadly a young team and an amazing young manager. Uh, but yeah, that uncertainty, like the stadium move, I think at that point definitely did. I would probably have undermined that a little bit. And it also, there's a lot to be said for being on an upward trajectory. And that's not to say they weren't at that point. But it feels like over the last six to 12 months are certainly been on a steeper upward trajectory than they were at that stage. 
But even in the kind of first half of the Pochettino era, when Spurs clearly were on an upward trajectory, the extent to which that they were improving didn't really become clear until halfway through each season. Like they generally, you know, in all 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17, they generally started the season quite slowly after a pretty underwhelming transfer market summer. And then it was only about Christmas you'd like realise how good they were. And so I don't think... I think that what we're having right now is actually feels a bit different from those Pochettino seasons, just because what they've done in the summer is clearly building on the improvements of the second half of last season. Like, mm. even the summer 2016... Summer 2016 wasn't a great window. Summer 2017 wasn't a great window. Whereas now, I feel like this window allows them to continue to improve uh, on the progress of the second half of last season. That's a really good point, because this, yeah, this has been like a momentum builder, whereas a lot of those summers seem to sort of check some of that momentum that had been building. Right. It was a bit of like a, a reality check of like, oh, we did finish really well, but have we really capitalised? Oh, we've got Vincent Janssen. Exactly. Yeah, recently returned to the, for the Holland squad. Could well win in the World Cup, we think. And now playing alongside Toby Alderweireld at Royal Antwerp. Um, uh, the, uh, just a, a brief moment about that. Yes, that, that last one when they were moving to Wembley. Some of the, the guts of, uh, for, the, for the, uh, the optimism was taken out of me just watching the old stadium being knocked down. But that, you know, I, I, of course they had to move that stadium. You know, that's how the, the modern world works. But there was so much of me left. Um, I don't. Know, I don't just mean finance, but emotion and sweat and and blood in some cases uh, in that stadium. I, I, I never. I didn't enjoy the next season as much. But now I'm going to do something that I promised myself I would never do, and that is to be influenced by James Moore. Um, my optimism for the new, for the new season. I know. I know. Uh, my optimism for the new season has been slightly um, curtailed by the fact that I've come to increasingly. Though not completely, but increasingly, to agree that J- with James's feeling of slight underwhelm um, about the transfer window, and I say this, I do think. By the way, I should say I do think we'll stay up. Yeah, <laughs> it, this <laughs> this new season, incidentally, uh, all things are possible because we don't know what's going to happen with the substitutes. We don't know what's going to happen with the World Cup. But James, when you a couple of weeks ago decided to take some of the air out of our tires by saying, "Well, this isn't the greatest ever transfer window, is it?" Um, since then, I think. Arsenal have addressed some of their real issues. Last season, their centre-backs never had a decent partnership. I think Saliba might help that. They might have to play Ben White in the reserves or a right-back, I'm not sure. And they've, they, their team made lots of chances and didn't score very often. Um, and now they've brought in Gabriel Jesus, who might do that. Chelsea are suddenly, having woken up, they're suddenly going to buy a load of decent players, aren't they? So perhaps, uh, am I wrong to say that the optimism should be tempered by the fact that Spurs haven't yet... This is not a transformative... Transfer window. It's, it's transformed the squad, but not the first eleven. But but it is well. I mean, J- J- James made that point, and I and I can see it. But one thing I would say about transformative, yes, it is the squad. I mean, if you, their bench from the last game of last season included Harvey White, Alfie Devine, Matthew Craig, and Dane Scarlett. Half of their outfielders were basically academy kids who'd never played the game, and that wasn't like they had an injury crisis. They had a couple. Their bench this season is so much stronger than that. They're going to have so many good options, assuming they don't have an injury crisis. And with five subs, which we've talked about, I think that is a transformative window. When when you're when you're talking about players of the caliber of Richarlison, Hoybier, uh, Sessegnon, all on the bench, and many many more. I mean, you're you're then not even getting to the fact that there'll be Skip on the bench, Mora, etc., Longley. Um, you know, those are really good options to have. I think that's an enormous difference from a team that A, was good enough to be the third best team from when Conte took over. And they had 
such limited bench options. I mean, Conte talked about that. He basically didn't feel he could bring people on. So I think that is a that's an enormous improvement. And you're talking about Perisic and Basuma, who I think are going to come in as automatic starters and be a huge upgrade. So that's two pretty big changes, even just looking at the first 11. I suppose if I, if I was to try, try and be as optimistic as I try to be normally, you could add in that the two the two players they bought in, Benson Kerr and Kulisewski, in, in January. It means that they have been, there has been a huge change. Um, so let me let me. Um, we haven't heard enough from Jack yet. How optimistic are you about Spurs this season? I think they'll be really good. I think they will. I think they will probably come third. I think they've got a chance of coming second, maybe if if other team if other things go their way, namely if City or Liverpool have an off year. I think they will be better than Chelsea, Manchester United, and Arsenal. I do think they'll, they'll they'll need to be good though because I think Tottenham have benefited structurally in the last sort of six to eight years from how bad Arsenal Arsenal and Man United have been. Um, you know, Arsenal have what uh, they've been out of the top four for the last six years. United, I think, have finished sixth three of the last six years, and that's obviously helped Spurs. But I think United and Arsenal will both be quite significantly better next year. I've got no idea how good Chelsea will be this season. I think it's very hard to get a read on them. Um, but I so Tottenham I think will need to be good. It'll be a high bar to finish fourth, but I think I there's no reason I think to think Tottenham won't be able to do it. Um I think their their target for me should be can they get the the famous eighty-six point mark set by Pochettino's team in sixteen seventeen. But I think they can I think they can do that. James, I I've uh, talked about your feelings about the transfer window. What about your own optimism? Where do you stand in on, on a scale of Indomble to Kane? <laughs> I mean no, I would say Despite what I said the other week, uh, what what I really meant was it, I didn't find it hugely exciting. I certainly take Charlie's point that the squad depth is absolutely crucial in this season more than any other. So I would be incredibly optimistic. And yeah, I would kind of just to go back to what you were saying before about when were we last as optimistic as this. I can't really remember when. There's kind of being optimistic about Spurs and then there's being optimistic slash pessimistic about how good or bad the other teams are going to be. I'm very optimistic that Spurs will be good. I have no... I'm not worried about Spurs being really good. The one doubt is that whether Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United end up somehow being even better. But I just can't see Ch- Chelsea's the wild card there. I'd agree with Jack. I think Arsenal and I think Arsenal and Manchester United. I would be quite at the moment quite confident Spurs would be better than reasonably comfortably. Chelsea, I, I, I mean, the, the way they seem to be approaching the transfer market is pretty crazy, and I, and I can see like them going after big name players right through to the end of August. Yeah. I can just, I just like them doing something mad and signing like I don't know, like some Ronaldo. massive name player, yeah, or whoever, or Neymar or Griezmann or whoever, you know, all these big name players who are feasibly. Aubameyang is the latest. So, uh, yeah, Aubameyang right, yeah. seen that this morning. Yeah, um, who obviously worked with Tuchel. Uh, yeah, um, exactly. Dortmund. Dortmund yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, I, I can definitely see them like picking up a couple of big names, and I guess it might be that thing of one whether that's really what Tuchel wants, and two whether it all kind of fits together. But it feels like they could be a bit of a wild card. I, I mean, I actually think they could be. I can. I don't think it's impossible. There's a situation where Chelsea are really, really good. Like, no, yeah, I think they're very high variance, aren't they? They yeah. could be. They could be really, really good. They could be up or there with those other two. They weren't spiral. that far. They weren't that far behind those two last season, were they? Really? I mean, they, they were. I mean, they at were the start of the far. season. How, they were how, how, they were with them till about like November December, but they would have finished about fifteen points off, if not more. I mean, this is this is what's exciting is that Chelsea are have a huge spectrum of variability within the most unpredictable season that I can ever remember. So you know, you we'll, we'll say they, they could go down, they could easily go down. Chelsea, they could you definitely know, yeah. go down. They um, could definitely go down. But the point is, if look, if Spurs are better than Arsenal and Manchester United, 
it would take something insane to not be in the Champions League again, which, you know, would, it's probably not especially ambitious to say fourth would be a good season for Spurs, given what it's just, it's what they've just done. But it wouldn't, it would kind of be bottom line, wouldn't it? Let's go round. Um, and, and, and this is this is a one word answer, and I'll include myself. Um, and I'll start bottom right with you, James. Where will Spurs finish? At the moment, I would say third. Jack? Third. Charlie? Third. Okay, I've got more I've got more fear of Chelsea than I thought I had. Fourth. Okay. Um so to start the season, very quickly, um, because that's what we've got coming down the pipeline. How exciting. Um Southampton at home, Chelsea away, this is August, uh Wolves away, Forest away, and West Ham away. So two home games, three away games. One of those, um, with all due respect to West Ham, that massive club, um, against a, a team that we traditionally struggle against in Chelsea. Um I think starting the season well is as important as it always is because you get the same number of points for this game against Wolves as you do for the winning the North London derby in the running. Um, how many points are they going to get, Charlie? You're, you're actually putting your hand up like you're at school, which is very nice. No, just to make the point that of the... They didn't play Forest last season, obviously, but mm-hmm. of the four games they did play last season, Spurs picked up zero points from these four fixtures. Wow. <laughs> Southampton home, Chelsea away, Wolves well, home, West Ham away. Thanks very so, much for that. Well, so an early chance to to show how far they've come. Obviously, that's slightly random. You know, I think Southampton and Wolves, those home defeats were... I I don't think that's because those two teams are just so much better than them, they can't overturn them. But it is quite a a quirk of the fixture list. No, no, that was was really worth interjecting with a a lot because it means that Spurs have got a chance to really, as you say, plaster on a load of points early in the piece. All right, I'll try... Well, to Jack's Jack's point about 86 points, Spurs need to get an extra 15 this season from what they did last year, which is turning five defeats into five wins. So they could make a good start by turning four of those defeats from last season into wins. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I think they'll get 11 points in August. I suspect they'll draw at Ch- Chelsea. I'd be very pleased with a draw at Chelsea, given our timidity against that team at various times last season. And Antonio Conte, um, I'm not saying he's fixated with them, but he just wants to treat it like another fixture if he possibly can. And I, I suppose they, they, might, they might draw with West Ham. West Ham have improved and will buy more players between now and then. And I would hope that the... The big change this season would be that these home fixtures where teams sit and wait for Spurs don't be as as difficult as they as they appeared to be uh, last season. Uh, and of course, bear in mind, uh, on top of that, the coaches have now had a good while to look at Antonio Conte's system. Um, teams, will, in theory, will be even more difficult for Spurs to break down. But of course, um, he's had more time to get different players and, and the system into the players' heads. So for me, 11 points and a really good start to the season. I'm sure Is that your one-word answer to that question. No, that was a, no, 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 that was the previous question. Where will they finish? Now I'm on to the, how many points they're going to get in August. Okay. Also, by the way, that's the big microphone sat in front of me. You do realise that, don't you? <laughs> I, do, I don't. I don't need directing. <laughs> what, what do you think, Chase? How many points? This might sound pessimistic, having said they'd finish third, but I, I could see ten points. Chelsea away. Despite what we were saying about Chelsea, kind of seeing seeming like they're in a state of flux at the moment. Their have their first home game of the season being against Spurs, it, you know, though they will be bang up for it to coin a phrase, and given Spurs' record there, I mean, you definitely take a point from that game. I I, just, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Spurs were to lose, but the rest, I mean, if they beat Southampton, Wolves, and Forest, draw at West Ham, which I think is midweek again. I mean, without reading too much into those details, it does kind of feel like it makes it a slightly more difficult game for some reason. Um, but a draw there would be decent. Sorry, so, we're playing in the midweek. West Ham, what, playing at the weekend? 
That's that's the game. It's been under, under the lights. 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 But it's late August. Does that make a difference? I think maybe it does. What the, the lights? It, the lights yeah, will yeah. still be needed at. at they kickoff. will be on, but it won't have quite the same effect because if it was like November or like February, no, it'd be like three, three o'clock in the afternoon, a test match when they turn the lights on, there'll be you'll be slightly fuzzier shadows on the ground, won't there? How many points, Jack? Uh, I think ten is okay. I think pe- when people are asked this question, they generally overestimate how many points. I, I hope I've done that. Yes. Um, I think ten, I think Conte would take ten. You know, six from the home games, four from the away games. I think would be okay. Obviously, it would suck to lose to Chelsea away, but I think you know Chelsea away is obviously one of the hardest games this season. If you if you win at the City Ground and get a point at West Ham, you've kind of done all right. So obviously eleven, obviously eleven would be better. Twelve would be even better than eleven. I think ten would be okay. Six six from the home games means we're back into the pattern of last season. Then losing one home game in three against opposition that you would hope they would beat. No, it doesn't. No, no. There's three away games. I've gone completely mad. Sorry, I've gone completely mad. Yeah. What about and you, Charlie? Funny, well, just what's funny, because Jack's saying there that one tends to overestimate, because at the start of this this bit, I was remember. I think the last time we did this was September 2021. I think it was Danny, me, you and James, and that was the Palace away, Chelsea at home, Spurs oh, away, yeah. uh, uh, Arsenal away month. And I remember us all saying things like, you know what, I, I think they could get seven here. I'm going to go with seven, uh, which obviously proved to be seven too many. Um, but 11, <laughs> 11 or 10 feels... Yeah, that certainly feels around par. Well, ten, ten puts you ten puts you at two points a game, and if you do that over the season, that's seventy six. Seventy six. Usually, fine. you would expect to be kind of comfortably in top four. At least. Oh yeah, last ten easily. years, you're easy. That's generally like that. third rather than fourth, I reckon. Yeah, nowadays. yeah. low seventies, early sixties normally gets you fourth nowadays. Charlie, do you reckon ten? Sorry, Charlie, you got you. We got sidetracked. Do you reckon ten, 10 would be okay from those five? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think Ch- Chelsea away. I guess does it matter as well which games you lose because in a way be- beating Chelsea would be I think for Conte he spoke about this in March saying he really wanted to play Chelsea now having had having seen the improvement of his team and having had that horror month where they lost three times and didn't score so I do think that would make such a statement early on uh, if they could beat them obviously then if they were to lose like I think in a way I'd rather I think it'd be better for Spurs to beat Chelsea away and lose to Forest away rather than vice versa. Because what would you... I don't think you'd learn... Like, we know they can beat teams of the calibre of Forest, but to to go away to Chelsea and beat them... I know consistency was an issue, so you could say, oh, they haven't resolved that, but I just think beating Chelsea away would be so massive. Yeah, I mean, again, just the three points, but you're right, for the psychology of the team, it would be, be very important. Well, I'm glad to see we're all very optimistic there. 10 or 11 points, that would be a belting start. That'd be really, really good. Um, let's widen this out then because the Spurs are not only playing in the Premier League and of course um, the, the, the teams who are in Europe are virtually playing a championship style uh, schedule up until the World Cup. They'll play virtually every midweek. There's one or two gaps in there, but virtually every midweek as well as the weekends, um, which takes us on to the dreaded T word and uh, the word that obsesses the supporters of other clubs, um, if not necessarily Spurs fans themselves, trophies. And we're going, to, I'm going to ask you all, what would constitute in the round, holistically, what would constitute a successful season for Spurs coming up? Um, there's another way of, re- of phrasing this. Will this podcast win an award before Spurs win a trophy? There's <laughs> um, one way of looking at it. Uh, Jack, what, what's a successful season for Tottenham this year? Uh, I think top four minimum. Beyond that, 
Well, I, I used to I used to be of the view that you know winning a trophy is contingent, and there's more to football than just winning a trophy. Than just winning a trophy, the kind of Pochettino view. Mm-hmm. That Spurs shouldn't pursue a trophy for a trophy's sake, but that, I, I hate feel that like so much. I hate the long. I'm not I sure it. you do, yeah. But I, I kind of, I'm kind of now changing my mind a bit. You know, I feel like what's the point of having Antonio Conte as your manager and having Kane and Son up front if you're not going to win something? So maybe I'm not saying they need to win a trophy, but obviously it would be. Come on, James, express your hate. Let it out, James. Would you, James, would you rather come fifth than win the League Cup, or come fourth and win? Uh, I don't. No, not the League Cup. I I think I'd rather come. Yeah, but this is exactly it, isn't it? If you win a trophy, it won't be the right trophy. Everyone will say it's not the right trophy. Well, we're not talking about. Well, fine. They're they're obviously on a scale. You take fifth in the FA Cup over fourth. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Danny, would you? No. Um, I, I, I'm oddly enough, no. Wow, the, the Mister Europa I, Conference I, League I, himself. I, this isn't me taking the piss, but I genuinely think the difference might be that you've you've seen Spurs win the FA Cup before. Uh, absolutely, I, like, it was in my lifetime. Uh, I, my next sentence would have been new paragraph. The reason I want Spurs to win a trophy, and I'm not one of those we must win a trophy people, because I think winning a trophy in England, um, as I always say, let's just start with a simple fact: with Newcastle's change of ownership, you are now, if you're Spurs, you are competing for trophies with eleven of the 20 richest clubs in the world. I mean, just think about that for a second. That is what the level of opposition is. And two of those are magnificent football teams in Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, and a third won the Champions League the season before last uh, in Chelsea. Uh, and it's a firework. Wins things which yeah. you don't expect them to win. Yeah. Um, One of them but, has a bloke who takes speakers to the training ground. <laughs> yeah, and little tiny weenie speakers. They might as well have brought earbuds and just played the noise. The, you remember walking <laughs> over earbuds. That might, James, you're, you're coming on to my exact point. Why I want Spurs to win a trophy is for the younger people who turn up in their Spurs shirts and are as enthusiastic about the club as I am. But I was—I happened to be around in a golden era. I mean, I think I've seen Spurs in about 15, 16, 17 cup finals over the years. Now, they haven't won all those, but they certainly won a lot of them when I was a younger man. Um, so, yes, I, my my gluttony uh, is for tr- trophies is somewhat sated. But, yes, for the younger gang, I would love, uh, you know, and also the world has changed, hasn't it? You know, social media means that um, you can't slink about um, like you used in the past supporting a team that doesn't do very well because... Oh, no, fuck that. I don't care. No, that's nonsense. Mm. I don't care about that. I just want I just want to watch Spurs win the FA Cup. It's as simple as that. I don't care. Okay. About, I don't care about, you know, man like Smith Rowe on Twitter or whoever. He's <laughs> like prepubescent dickheads. I'm not fussed about that. I just want Spurs to win the FA Cup. That's it. I, I, it struck me how long it was the other day. This is this is absolutely true. In that I came out um, the back door out, out into the garden and uh, saw herself wrestling with a deck chair, and I said, "Let me do that for you." And you know, mansplained how you un- unfold a deck chair. And I realised that, with the exception of some albums, that is the oldest thing I own is that deck chair. Spurs won the <laughs> FA Cup. In, Spurs won the FA Cup in 1991. The following day, I was still so overexcited. I went to some <laughs> shop somewhere and bought a navy blue and white striped deck chair to, to, to celebrate. Now it's now faded. It's now faded to a kind of Chelsea blue and white deck chair. But it just struck me because I hadn't been in the garage. I hadn't seen it for a few years. Um, wow, that is, as I say, one of the oldest things I own, and that was the last time Spurs won the FA Cup. Um, you people weren't even born. It's, it's a desperate thought, isn't it? A desperate thought. What constitutes a, a successful season, Charlie, for Spurs? Yeah, I, I was doing this for, had to do a season preview. It was out, a written piece was out today. And I think if they got top four and nothing else, that would still be successful. That's sort of like the minimum level of success. Like they yes. would be, ba- they would still be in the Champions League. Um, 
But ideally, I mean, obviously, finishing higher up would mean progress, which would be, you know, a quite significant step. Uh, and obviously, but I think finishing, I think anything other than finishing fourth is a bonus um, rather than a necessity. So that would be my, I think right now, if they finish fourth, that would still be a successful season. I wonder if on this particular point, Levy and Conte disagree. Because clearly for, for Levy and the sort of long-term future of the club, the most important thing is Champions League. But Conte, I mean, Conte said plenty of times last season, fourth, fourth as a target is not enough for him. He really has to feel like he can win something. And he wouldn't still be here if he didn't feel like they had, I think as he puts it, just 1% chance of winning something. It's what he needs to be there. So I wonder... I wonder what those... I mean, I'm just speculating here, I don't know, but I wonder what those conversations are internally about targets, and I wonder whether Conte has a different set of targets in his head than Levy. That is a really good point, actually, because and I think within finishing fourth, there are quite a lot of ways to do that. I think if they were scrapping around in that bun fight with Arsenal and United, and that was all they were doing this season and scraped their way into fourth, I certainly don't think Conte would view that as a successful season. If they finished fourth but are much closer to that top two and have maybe beaten them each uh, and had a run in the Champions League and have sort of re-established themselves around the level they were at in those peak Pochettino years. I think that would be very, very different from if they just finished fourth with 71 points like they did last season and it was went down to the final day. Um, I, I certainly don't think, as Jack says, I certainly don't think Conte would... View, I think that would be enough for Conte to be like, well, if this is where we're going, I'm, I'm not really up for this. I do think you can't really be prescriptive about what success is before the start of the season really I, I think realistically you kind of know at the end from the feel of it that it feels like it's a successful season and I think if you went back to the end of last season I mean getting back into the Champions League would obviously be a success like in terms of like sort of points and moments I'm not sure that it was it should feel like any higher than any of those other seasons of the Pochettino but for some reason it kind of it feels because of that trajectory the feel of it is just that it was a, a really, really good season. So I think, you know, you could you, they could finish fourth again, as Charlie says, and, and do okay in the Champions League, not amazingly well. But it, I just think at the end, you kind of have a much better idea of what it all means. And it's as much as anything else, it's kind of how they're set for the season afterwards. And you can't like do that forever. You can't constantly say, well, next season we'll do it, next season we'll do it, which to me is kind of what did happen a little bit under Pochettino. But that's such a good point because you look at someone like uh, Spurs to an extent last season. You know, Spurs last season was about, right, we've had this horrific year, 2020 to 21, you know, traumatic even. This year's about stabilising. Um, yes, Champions League would be ideal, but we've got these four monsters in front of us. At that time, United had just finished second and we thought, you know, every, every, I don't think a single person, I think BBC, they had like 30 experts and I'm not calling them out. Everyone was saying it. Not a single person said Spurs would get top four. So going into last season, you could say, okay, well then fifth, fifth would be a great result. Best of the rest. Obviously then once you're in that top four fight, it's very disappointing. Leicester, March 2016 or April 2016, Leicester needed what? A point from their last five games win the title, whatever it was. At that point, clearly not winning the league is a massive disappointment. Going into the start of the season, finishing 17th was an achievement. So things do um, ebb and flow. That's obviously the most extreme example. But even Spurs last year, I think, is is kind of um, backs up what James is saying. Like You do get a feel for that. And also because these teams don't operate in isolation. Like James was saying with you know how good... You can be confident of how Spurs are, but... You're in a league. It's not like a. It's not a time trial, you know. Um, yeah. 
and and so much of that like Eric Ten Hag we have that could have a huge impact on Spurs' season and none of us have any idea how that's going to work out but also, really like, apart we from don't the know, I mean it doesn't seem especially likely at the moment but we don't really know what's going to happen with Newcastle between now and the end of the window mm. it doesn't seem like they're going to or going to be able to like spend insane money but even like I mean Villa have signed a couple of quite good players and I think their team on paper is actually now starting to look quite good West Ham we know have been like broadly speaking the coming force in the Premier League over the last like three or four seasons have gradually been improving even if their league position hasn't always gone up like that you would say their season last season was better than the season before because they went so far in Europe uh, and they've brought in a couple of good players too so I mean it's it's not just those six there are other teams who potentially could pull themselves up into that group in, as well in this in this season of all seasons you know Newcastle having no European football is a huge thing mm-hmm. if they yeah. all can sell which takes me to the other problem very quickly uh, about the season and that is I think Spurs are the of the Champions League teams are the one who have the the, the the kind of mad cycle that goes on because you we will see I guess because it's the traditional thing to do Conte resting players in the Premier League because they've got a Champions League game coming up whereas logically they should rest he's players, never really they should no, rest he's never really done that, that he's well, tended to prioritise the league over the Champions League well, in, which in is that partly case, why he's not, not got a great Champions League record and that's well in that case I hope he does do that because let's be fair you know Spurs are unlikely not it's not impossible Spurs are unlikely to win the Champions League um, it's a cup competition stuff happens in it um, you have this thing where you, you you know the story don't you 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 do you shift heaven and earth to qualify for the Champions League and then you have to kind of ignore it, if you like, as you say will do, um, in order to try and qualify for it again the following year. I don't think so. I think that's not the priority. I think the priority will be focus on the league and get 10 points to get through to the next stage of the Champions League. You know, then, you make, Spurs, then you make an assessment, don't you? Spurs Harvard are going to be in pot two of the Champions League. They're probably going to be, and frankly, because of how they've changed pot one, they're going to be better than a lot of teams in pot one. Spurs will be, the, I think Spurs will probably be the fa- will probably be the favourites in their Champions League group, or the best team in their Champions League group. That means that I think they, I mean, like, this, might sound, this might look ridiculously arrogant in a few months' time, but I think Spurs can focus on the Premier League, play slightly less good teams in the Champions League, and progress through to the group stage all they've got to do get through the group get and then they can worry about the real priorities in february can i can i just put danny just picking up something something you said there given how good city and liverpool are and given the fact that the champions league as you say is a cup competition and there's more variants and spurs aren't one of the best teams in it would it how fair would it be to say that spurs actually have a better chance of winning the champions league than the premier league oh absolutely that that is that is a that is definitive i mean there's no there's no i don't Allowing for the fact that the season is going to be unpredictable, I don't think Spurs can win the Premier League. Could they win the Champions League? Of course they could. Real Madrid, I do not believe that that is a great team that Real Madrid have. And mm. yet they took on the best teams in Europe, one after another, and found ways to initially to scrape past them. I think sort of like Liverpool 2005 style. The most experienced team in terms of like winning the Champions League in the modern era, other than like since that Madrid team of the 50s or 60s that won it like six and seven or whatever it was. Yeah. Like in terms of like having players in the team that have won it an absolute shed load of times, and I know a few of them have left, but they've still got Benzema, Crows, Modric. Casemiro, uh, yeah. Casemiro, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but yeah, of course, uh, I'm not sure I buy in necessarily to this winning DNA thing. I, I, I suspect having a great team is more important than having a I winning know, I think, DNA. I think, that winning, I think that experience of winning DNA thing is more of a thing in Europe than it is in the league. I maybe think so. A, I think maybe so. To, to deal with like the two-legged ties, maybe less so without away goals, actually. 
But yeah. I definitely think there's a certain mentality that you need Not panicking when you go behind those, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. how, and they were amazing at managing those games last season. The, the, number of, the, the number of times they came back, the number of times it looked like they were fucked, but they actually were in complete control. Incredibly I, I think the number one lesson of the Champions League in the last five years is that the way that City and Liverpool play and prepare, which is basically, here's the game plan, learn it, internalise it, do it every week 38 times, and they'll get, we'll get the most points at the end of the season. That is actually a completely different set of skills from how you win a cup competition. Mm. And I think every season I go into this, every season I go into the Champions League thinking, well, City and Liverpool are the two best teams in Europe, so I'm sure one of them will win the Champions no, League. No, but Jack, they're, they're, and it but, happen. But that, but no, because they, they can't prepare for the Champions League. Manchester, yeah. Manchester City exactly and Liverpool are in such a competitive league that they cannot guarantee that they're going to qualify through their league position every year. Um, if you're Real Madrid, if you're Bayern Munich, if you're Paris Saint-Germain, you, but your team is bought to be in the Champions League because you they know you're going to be in it. They qualify. Liverpool be- nearly missed out the season before last. The season before last, they did. True. The goalkeeper to score a winning goal. To get Though the last season, they each could have got 20 points less and still qualify for the Champions League. So there's, there's a fair bit of margin for error. Well, all right. But, but, but let's reverse into the question then. Who is more likely, more likelihood then, Charlie, of, of not qualifying for, next, for the Champions League the season after this? Paris Saint-Germain or Manchester City? No, clearly Manchester City, there's more risk. But I'm saying I still think they have quite a lot of margin for error. They don't have margin... I agree with you. They don't have margin for error if they want to win the league because them and Liverpool are so ferociously competitive. And when Liverpool aren't winning the league with 92 points, as was the case last season, and whatever it was, 97 in 2018-19 or something ludicrous, I agree with you on the league point. I think on the top four point, they do have. Um, But Jack and James, I mean, do you think Spurs are more likely to win the Premier League or the Champions League? Well, Champions League for the reasons you sort of outlined, I would say. And I think also, like, it's more likely Spurs could be in a situation in the second half of the season where uh, they're kind of third or fourth with a decent gap back to whoever's behind and able to kind of focus a bit more on the Champions League. I mean, it just feels more likely that it'll be that way around than there. Well, let, let's, hope there's so, let's hope there's so much in that position come the World Cup that in January they can buy players to, to re-up the Champions League side of the things. That would be great, wouldn't it? We're re- this is really, uh, Jack, this is going very well. We've now convinced ourselves Spurs have got every chance to win the Champions League. <laughs> Look, I don't know what percentage chance Spurs have of winning the Champions League, but would it actually be much higher than their percentage chance of winning the Premier League? The point is that in the same way that uh, West Ham or Newcastle might surprise us by having a good season. There's also the possibility, and I know it's slim, that City or Liverpool will have a bad season. You know, they've both been, they've both exhausted themselves over the last four or five years. They've both brought in a big new number nine. They're both probably also kind of affected by the the mental pain of not winning the Champions League. Obviously, City losing in the semis, Liverpool in the final. Maybe they will go into next season wanting to do that rather than focus on the Premier League. You know, City had a bad season in, what, 2019-20. Uh, Liverpool had a bad season in 2020-21. It's it's not implausible that either of them will be shit this year. No, I think the key thing is that both need to be. That's and that's <laughs> that what's so hard. It, it could, could happen, it could, but I think it's perfectly possible, as you say, because in two of the last three seasons, one of them has had an off year. The the challenge for a team like Spurs is you've got these two generational teams, not just one. Mm. And that's actually something Conte said when uh, we spoke to him in Korea, and and I was pushing him on, can you win the league? You know, you you know, because he he raised the situation, the comparison of well, I did it with Inter when Juve had won it for you know 10 years before or something and I said well why not then and his point was well it's one thing doing it to one team like Juve and Juve were kind of coming towards the end of that cycle the problem is there are these two giants in front of them if it can happen to one it can happen to both and then Chelsea might have a great season 
I really enjoyed this because we've gone from kind of, I don't know, to suddenly they, they, we're choosing between Spurs winning the Premier League and the <laughs> Champions League. Let's, let's take a quick break. We'll have a quick fire round after this and we'll try and get a, a feeling for some other issues to do with it. Remind you, everyone, in, uh, by the way, that this is the last week in which we'll be doing just one of these podcasts from now on, there will be Monday after the weekend's uh, Premier League fixtures and then midweek, usually Thursday, uh, but depending on the Champions League, maybe Wednesday as well. But the main thing is from we're going from one of these podcasts to two. And if I open the window behind me, I can already hear the peal of church bells across the land in celebration of that fact. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing The Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane with Danny Kelly. That's me and Jack Pitt-Brook and Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Um, we're gonna, we, we've already taken a lot of time discussing Spurs winning the Champions League. Um, so I think we need... Um, to try and move through this next round as quickly as possible, I'm going to ask you about seven or eight questions. Deliberately starting with uh, no, I'll, it's not fair. I'll start. I'll start with Jack, we'll, and, and we'll go around very quickly. Will Spurs finish above Arsenal, everybody? Yes. James. Yes. Charlie. Depends on how many times they play. You'll never walk alone before games, I suppose. But uh, I'll go with yes. Okay, I, I, I mean, of course, I, I'm from Islington, so my fear of Arsenal is is greater than perhaps than all of yours. And I also lived in that borough under the jackboot of them for many times. I'll say yes. Yeah, I'll say yes. Um, who will be the best of the so far six news signings, James? Uh, Richarlison. Can you have one sentence on that? I do want justification now. Okay. If you, um, I, I didn't really. But I, just that, think but he's a, I just think he's a very good fit for what Spurs needs in squad terms. He's obviously a very good Premier League player. He, he's like, you know, I, I think he should really kind of hit the ground running even though he's suspended for that first game. So I'd be pretty confident he can make a decent impact. He's going to hit the ground <laughs> suspended, yeah. Um, <laughs> hit, the, hit the ground for running. Jack, who's going to be the, the best of the six new signings? Uh, Perisic is going to get 10 goals. Charlie? Basuma. Oh, that's good. We've got a yeah. complete difference. Just shows what uh, well, a great window it's been. Or a bad yeah. one, a middling one, depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could all be terrible. For me, it'll be Perisic because he's the best player among them. Though I do, I mean, I'm not allowed two choices. Richarlison. Um Will we sign anyone else before the window closes? I'm looking to uh, to, to Charlie and Jack here. It may be in the know. Charlie? Yes. Any idea where it'll be? Another centre-half? Mm, could be, if that presents itself. But I think an, another attacking player um, is is the most likely. And, of, and you know, reports from Italy yesterday that we need to sort of see where they go on Udogi. Um, so, but yes, I think a, a, an attacking mid is definitely a priority. Do you, do you think they will, James? Do they, they need to first make further signings? <laughs> you want a more, uh, more ill-informed take now, do Yes, you? please, yeah. Um, yeah, my, I, this is just a theory. But 
I reckon they're going to try and do something sexy at the end. I think they're going to go. I think the Spurs are going to go after like a big sexy name at the end of the window. I don't know why it would be very out of character, but a lot of stuff has happened this this summer. Like Dybala, that sort of situation in 2019. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's like, yeah, one, one, yes, exactly like that, yes. Neymar, <laughs> Jack, that'd be great. I'm bang up for that, Neymar, that'd be class. That'd be, Let's do it. Sorry, if you if you if you're one of those Tottenham Daniel, aggregate, Daniel, Daniel, we'll be listening. If Let's you're one of those Tottenham Daniel. aggregator accounts, I am taking the piss. Yeah. Don't say that. Yeah, that could get us loads that. of listeners. <laughs> yeah, Spurs to you know. Yeah, yeah Neymar for Spurs. You heard it here uh, first. On the one of those new such a Conte type player <laughs> news aggregators. Yeah, totally reformed. Totally reformed. Turned up on time for PSG preseason for the first time in four years. So totally reformed. Um, under Christoph Gelty, about whom more later, everybody. Um, Who will be the breakout star of the season? I don't even know what that word means, uh, but I've been asked to, to say it. Charlie? God, that's quite hard because I don't know how much Conte is up for breakout stars. I think no. he wants established stars. Um, I mean, Spence is the only one yeah. who you would kind of put in that category. But even I don't know if he'd be breakout as such because breakout to me implies someone you're not necessarily expecting. But I think of those people, you know, that would be more the sort of Scarlet Divines. But Scarlet's already been loaned. Divine, the the plan is that he will be loaned. Um, but I'll go. I'll go Spence for you know, want of other options. Well, I don't think there are very many options. Does anyone else want to add anything to that? Is, is it ridiculous to suggest that Ryan Sessegnon could be so yeah, good that he make the World good. Cup? He can make the World Cup squad. Oh no, that is ridiculous. The second half <laughs> that is ridiculous. The first half is Ryan Sessegnon. England, don't, England don't have anyone to play on the left. Like Luke Shaw and Ben Ben Chilwell were injured for most of last season. England don't have a specialist left-sided player, really. Uh, Tyrant Mitchell played there recently for England. If England he's are playing really the back, if England are, he's good. If England are playing back three at the World Cup, which I suspect they will, and they're going to want a specialist left wing back who isn't Saka because they want Saka further forward. You know, there's not that many English players playing left wing back for top six teams. But given how well Sessegnon finished the season last season, you know, let's wait and see. Sessegnon. Actually, in in the preview thing I did, I put as player with point to prove, and I don't mean that in a like he's been bad, but I think to prove that he can do what Jack's suggesting would be needed. I think to get in the England squad to play consistently, stay clear of injuries. I think this he needs to show he can do that for a whole season. But let's be brutal about it. Ryan Sessegnon has yet to prove that he can play in the Premier League. Let's be absolutely brutal about it. Yeah, um, I mean, on a sort of consistent I basis. I think he's yeah. got talent and all the rest of it. And this may be a chance for him to, to, to prove that. I would like to see him add a bit more uh, confidence to his game in the final third. I think that's what Perisic is going to have over him, is that Perisic is just goals and provides so many goals and assists. And Sessignon is such a talented player, and I really like watching him play, but... He doesn't really. He doesn't take people on. He doesn't really go for goal. He doesn't really make that run off the ball to get on the end of something. That kind of thing. Jack, does your prediction that Perisic is going to be the best signing and score ten goals not kind of undermine your suggestion that Sessegnon could get into the World Cup squad? Why should my predictions be internally coherent or mutually exclusive? Yeah, okay. I mean, they, I, I, my, 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 I mean, is it? Re- you've got to judge each prediction on its own terms. <laughs> also, what Jack's doing—he's hedging there because one of those two things exactly that is could, true. Could yeah, well that's a good point. Smart. That's fine. And, uh, I'm allowed to do uh, that. My breakout star, because of the way the season unfolded, I think Oliver Skip is almost starting from scratch again, um, and we'll see if he gets enough games to be. If he's as good as he was in the first half of last season, people will start to to see him again because he's disappeared, hasn't he? Um, he has, but I don't know if you can be breakout star two seasons running. Oh, I, think I think he's already broken out. I think last season was his breakout season. You can't keep breaking out. You're out already. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess you could say you're saying he went back in. Oh, he broke back no, in. He's yeah. break out again. He dug a tunnel okay. and back in. Yeah. yeah. 
Go on, you were gonna you were gonna say something profound, James. No, no, no. I'll, I'll come back to it at the end for the mad predictions. Um, we, we, because of the uh, the let's call it the the Vlad Kirikes factor. I have to ask you all. Um, I'll start with you, James. Who will be the worst of the so far six signings? Right. Firstly, Kirikes was good. Right. Um, he was a better signing than uh, Soldado or Paulinho, so he definitely wasn't the worst of that lot. Um, that is an that is, is an opinion. This feels quite un. This feels quite unfair. Yeah, well, maybe don't... don't. Kirikas was definitely... Sorry, no, wait, wait, wait. Kirikas was definitely better Hang on, than no, no, no. no. I, I, I'm actually... Beep, beep. I'm reversing into Kirikas was actually good. A good player. A good footballer. Don't, good don't agree. Decent. Yeah, okay. That fine. game at Old Trafford, remember? He was really good. So now we get... He, he, he was so good, we can identify the actual good game he played. <laughs> we got man of the match in Spurs one at Old Trafford. Okay. Tim Sherwood is the manager. He was know. definitely better than Polonio. Yeah, it's 100%. Right, anyway. anyway. It's the same Polonio who went on to play for Barcelona, is it? No, but as, but as a Spurs player, look at Barcelona now. So what did he do? What did Paulinho do for Barcelona? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Let's not get bogged down with Vlad Kirikes again. <laughs> it's a stupid question, actually, isn't it? It is, and I mean, if anyone, I mean, I, I would say Longley, and I mean, it's all relative, and I just, I just find it hard to believe he's going to be better than Ben Davis. I just. He's going to be very different to Ben. He's going to be, be different than Davis. And if Ben Davis is... I, he looked good in that friendly last weekend, like you're bringing the ball yeah. out. But Davis has really improved in that area. And I just, he's just the one of the six who, given he's only on a loan, I'm not sure he's going to get enough football this season to justify a permanent transfer. And then that'll be it. Whereas like Spence, he might not play loads, but he'll have an opportunity next season or the season after. So... The safe bet seems to be Longley to me. I saw a claim on the internet the other day that Longley was better than Ben Davis. I think Ben Davis... Ben Davis is incredible last season. He, it, I mean, that, that may or may not be true. Started but you asking two me to games. pick one of six players. That, that may or may not be true. Yeah. But you're asking me to pick one of six and he would seem the logical one. I think Davis would be first choice. More slams Longley in, uh, in podcast. I mean, Spurs I, flop. I think given that the role of the sub-keeper over the last two years has been king of... <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. not as a player, but the sort of king of banter role yeah. that Joe Hart and Gallini took to like ducks ah. to water. I'm not sure Foster's got that in his locker. Uh, Foster's got that in his locker. He seems quite serious. So I'm going to go I'm going to go with him sort of, uh, and, and we'll yeah. be longing for the days of Joe Hart. He's, you know. he's no Ben Foster for a laugh, is he? You know. But now Ben Foster, <laughs> could, yeah. would, he could definitely yeah, he take on that King of Banter yeah, role. Yeah. Um, Doing his YouTube videos. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, will Conte sign a new contract between now and the end of the season? One word answer. Start with oh. me. Uh, yes. James. Yes. Jack. It's very difficult to do in one word. Uh, uh, I'm gonna on. say I'm gonna say uh this will be the story that dominates the second half of the season, and I think it is likelier than not that he will end up signing a new deal, but I don't think he'll make it easy. You couldn't even have got that you couldn't get into a tweet. Um Charlie, yes or no? <laughs> contract signing a new contract. I'll go yes, but it's uh yeah, it's uh and, and Very the, hard to call that one. In the last of this round robin bit, um, before we do a bit of blue skying about some of the unlikely things that might happen, um, what is in your minds, what is Conte's biggest challenge, um, contract or no contract, over the next uh, 10 months it will be, won't it? Charlie? From a personal perspective, not losing his head when they get a result that really upsets him. Although maybe he'd say that helps the team. But I think the, the biggest worry with Conte is that Whilst things are going really well now, we know that if things start to go badly, he could just, you know, really explode. Um, and that works for some teams, but it doesn't work for every team. So I think the biggest challenge is 
maintaining that equ- uh, equilibrium. And I guess in the you know the way that we talk about players who put in bad tackles, like yeah, but you take that out of his game, he wouldn't be the same player. Uh, and some would probably say that about Conte, but um, yeah, I think that's a challenge for him. Managing the calendar. Um, the calendar is insane this year. It's awful. Um, both before the World Cup, it's going to be very tough because you know Spurs will go from playing twice a week every week rather than from having played once a week every week last season. Uh, then the World Cup and then straight back into football, probably still be in Europe. Um, players will be physically and mentally exhausted. Conte will have to keep them fit, fresh, motivated, ballot, you know, and ready to compete on multiple fronts. It's going to be, you know, it's hard for everyone. It's going to be especially hard for Tottenham and that's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, my, I guess mine's a tiny sub-variant of that um, in that I, I don't know what's going to happen in the month before the World Cup in, in, in club football because take Spurs. They have at least four players who would genuinely think they've got a chance of winning the World Cup um, c- coming up. And uh, what, are their, what are their attitudes going to be like? I'm not sure they'll be very professional, but their extra half a percent that changes matches, will they all be putting it in as they head towards, you know, they, they will be less than human because in the case of Son, Kane and Lloris, it'll be their last World Cup, I presume, give or take. Kane um, will go to 2026, won't he? Well, let's say that, that, that this could be their last World Cup. Richarlison will probably think he'll get another chance. Um He's another one who's very interesting because he currently starts up front for Brazil. But if he spends a lot of time on the bench and Gabriel Jesus um, gets a lot of goals for Arsenal, then suddenly Vinicius Jr. and Rafinha, either side of who becomes the question for the Brazilian manager. But I think he's got a... That month running up to the World Cup is going to be very odd, I think, in English football. Um, Big challenges, the biggest challenge for Conte, James? I would actually say, just to kind of go back to the previous question, I think handling the incessant questions from the likes of Jack and Charlie about the contract, I think, will be will be quite yeah. a big test of yeah. game. Both, this, both of them primed by you. Let's say that's well, yeah, right. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because he, there were definitely a couple of moments last season where it felt like he was kind of uncomfortable with scrutiny around those kind of issues, around questions around his future. And I think if he's publicly uh, not quite towing the company nine in quite the right way I, I think it could make things a bit awkward because that will become like if, if that isn't a question by the start of the season that will become a really big question quite quickly I think um, yeah whether things go yeah, well exactly. or badly it's, it's a talking like, point yeah, it, will, it will become a massive story really quickly uh, and I think if he doesn't if he doesn't field those questions well I know some people think that like we as journalists overanalyze all this stuff but no no let, let, let's have it right if if he has not signed a new contract by the by the t- time the World Cup comes round, not only it, will it become, as you say, an obsession uh, for people in the media, but it, it, it threatens to undermine everything. Your players, players, the players know that he's only got X months left on his contract. Absolutely. So I think that, that's that. You know, it's critical um, that they that Levy. I think, and you, it, it's not critical that he signs it. It's critical that he says whether he's going to sign it or not. Right. Well, yes or no. I, in I, or I out. I just think his kind of. Body language and demeanour, I think, when answering those questions, I think has to be right. I don't think he can be surly about that, Whatever, however things are going. Okay, thank you very much indeed for those relatively quick answers to the quickfire round. And now a last, um, a last round in which uh, I'll ask you just to predict something that we won't hold anyone to. Um, because as I say, this, this is a particularly easy thing to do this year because all things are, are possible. And just to show you, I'll set the bar, shall I? Here's what I think could happen. I think the World Cup comes and goes. England don't do well. Antonio Conte, fed up and no contract, becomes the England manager. Uh, 
Meanwhile, Paris Saint-Germain <laughs> have fallen out with the next best manager in Europe, who's Christophe Galtier. With all due respect, I don't count Liverpool Manchester City's managers. They're set in stone, aren't they? Christophe Galtier comes to Spurs because he's a good attacking manager um, and takes over. And Spurs beat his old club, Paris Saint-Germain, in the Champions League final. Now, I think all that's very likely to happen. Um, where anyone anyone got, got anything better than that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I've got one here. Good. <clears throat> So I, I wonder if Spurs' season might be derailed because in a World Cup quarterfinal, uh, you've got Argentina's Cristiano Romero up against England's Harry Kane. And in a way reminiscent of the England-Portugal quarterfinal in Gelsenkirchen in 2006, there will be, there will be, an L, there will be a stamp, a red card, a cheeky wink to a teammate as, let's say... Kane, I mean, it could be Kane getting Romero sent off. It's probably likelier than the reverse. Um, but either way, and then this will, you know, a few weeks later, the players will come back to Tottenham for pre, <laughs> sort of mini pre-season. And then they'll be going to play at Brentford on Boxing Day. And the big questions in all the, the world's media will be, can Carrie Kane and Christian Romero play together? Toxic, toxic a- atmosphere. After- after their red card incident in the uh, Albate Stadium or wherever that quarterfinal would be. Um, and obviously, it didn't actually derail Manchester United. They won the next three Premier League titles on the spin with Rooney, Ronaldo and the team together. But uh, it's one to... Yeah, th- that's my wacky prediction for it, 2022. It sounds great. I mean, there's also, of course, if the, if the teams play according to the way the bookies have them, it'll be England... And France in the quarterfinal will be Kane and uh, Lloris, won't it? I think that's right. Yeah, so for yeah. for England to get Argentina in a quarter, one of them would have to not win the group. Yeah. James, what's your what's your blue sky prediction? Uh, I mean, it wasn't quite as involved as that. I was. My prediction is Dejan Kulusevski to win PFA Player of the Year. There you go. He's not going to the World Cup. No. He's now settled at Spurs. He was incredibly good last season. I know we talked about this a lot. It's insane how good he was. After all of you lot were saying he was a bum, uh, hmm. a, a, a poor couple of games at the start. Incredibly good after that. Made such a big impact. The numbers speak for themselves. I've not. What did you, What did you Joel say about him? Goal, what did you say about him after two games? As a matter of interest. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It's I think the exact phrase you used was, "If he gets any slower, the actual spinning of the earth will see him going backwards." You said that. Char- Charlie, how many <laughs> goals and assists? It was five goals. And I think it was eight assists. In not that many matches, really. Sorry, the fact he's not going to the World Cup, I think, is crucial. When Kane, Son and Richardson all will go, Lucas, I imagine, won't go either, but we'll see what happens with him. But I just think second half of the season, Kulisevsky will be the absolute key player for Spurs. Uh, and I think there aren't many elite attacking players in the Premier League who won't be at the World Cup. Obviously, Salah's another one. Um, and I just think that could make quite a big difference second half of the season. So that's my tip. Player of the season, Kulisevsky. Thank you. For the, for the whole league. Yeah, yeah, PFA and Fans Player of the Year and all the rest of it. Uh, Charlie, what's your what's your um, blue sky prediction? J- just so I go head to head with James, I'll say Kudusevsky will actually have a disappointing season, and uh, he ran hot. He'll, it, it, the narrative will be, you know what, he actually ran hot a bit at the end of last season, and now he's, he's regressed to the mean, and uh, Richarlison takes his place, and Richarlison becomes this huge fans favourite and while I'm carrying on with this wacky thread that I haven't thought through Richarlison ends up outscoring one of Kane or Son but I'm not sure which I tell you uh, alright well, thank you if if Richarlison outscores one of Kane and Son injuries notwithstanding then Spurs really will be some kind of football team won't they 
Well, it depends how that happens, but yeah, in theory. One thing to add on on all this and Richarlison is that... So me, James and Charlie were discussing this on WhatsApp the other day. Like, the big... Like Spurs have been quite lucky in the last two years in the sense that Kane and Son, like since Son, since that point just before COVID where Kane got his hamstring injury at Southampton on New Year's Day 2020 and then Son broke his arm at Villa Park in February 2020, that, you know, they were both injured at the same time. Spurs were terrible at that point. And it wasn't just, you know, obviously it didn't help that, you know, there were other problems in the team, etc. But it's like, even now, as good as Spurs are, if Kane and Son get injured at the same time, Spurs are going to be much, 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 much worse. And they were lucky that didn't happen last season, but it could happen this season. You know, injuries happen, particularly given the, the schedule. So I do think we've got to keep that in the back of our mind as like a thing that could throw a spanner in the works of this season. What I would say though, now on that though, is that uh, h- how much worse are they set up for that than say if Liverpool lost Salah and Diaz, or I mean, sit if City lost Haaland and. De Bruyne. I mean, obviously City have a much bigger squad, but I think Spurs, at least now, if they lost one of Son or Kane, there's Richarlison who can come in. Even if they lost both of them, which would obviously be a complete disaster, their front three would be, what, Mora, Kulusevski and Richarlison. Yeah. That's not that's not diabolical as it was they can, they two can years put, ago. No, they can play Perisic in that front three as or well. Or move yeah, Perisic, Perisic forward. Yeah. Like, I feel they're a lot, at least, that, and that's kind of the point I was making at the start about the squad being so much better. I feel they're so much more they're so much better set up if they were to have that sort of misfortune. Uh, yeah, hopefully we don't, we don't have to see um, long balls over the head of Lucas Moura again, which is my abiding memory of those kind of pre-COVID weeks and sort of Feb, March 2020. Now, now Charlie has mentioned uh, Haaland, by the way. Who, who thinks Kane will score more goals than Haaland this season? More Premier League goals than Haaland? No, 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 no one looks confident here. I think he probably will. I think I think Haaland will score a lot of goals without looking good. I think I think Haaland will score like a decent number of goals. I kind of for some reason I feel like he's going to miss loads of chances and score a lot of goals. I, I think he'll score loads of goals in the Champions League, but maybe not an insane number in the league. I, just, I don't I know just, why I think. That. I just think that the goals are so the Spurs' goals are so much more likely to be divided up between two strikers rather than Haaland is liable to be getting a lot of the chances for Manchester City. That he may, you know, he may get twenty-two, and Kane and Son, I hope, will get twenty each. Um, that, that's that. Uh, Charlie, uh, we should we should end there, but of course you're you're forever pawing the ground with uh, news of the feature in the athletic. That people just have to read this week. Do you want to tell us what you've got coming up? Well, yeah, this was an interview I did with Eric Dyer and Matt Doherty uh, in Korea that went up on Wednesday, yesterday as we record this, uh, talking essentially about their bromance. They have this very close friendship uh, and it was really great fun to chat to them about it and they told me about the film club that they have where before every game, those two and Kane will get together in one of their hotel bedrooms like a book club and rotate the choice of uh, one of the three chooses the film. The rule is that two of the three can't have seen it before. They will give it a rating. That sounds complete great. With decim- complete with decimal points, a la their pizza ratings and everything else they rate. But it was just really nice to chat to them in that kind of environment. I think for them, it was quite fun. It was a lot more relaxed and uh, they rated some of each other's past haircuts and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was good fun. And uh, that's on The Athletic now. So Dyer likes uncut gems, but Doherty doesn't. Yes. Yeah, and we'll be hearing from those two um, some of that interview uh, uh, next week in one of next week's podcasts. And somewhere in the north of England, Deli Alley reads Charlie's piece and a single <laughs> teardrop falls onto his handheld device. Just to remind you again, and thank you all for uh, taking part in what 
at stages we got to the notion of Spurs winning the Champions League. That's a proper season preview, in my opinion. And, of course, from this week onwards, you can hear the podcast twice. Don't forget that. Set whatever uh, alarms you have on your devices. Um, Monday and Thursday will be the general schedule um, as the view from the lane returns to twice a week. Uh, meanwhile, um, as you hear, there's the, the, the thing itself is absolutely larded with great stuff about Spurs. And in case you're not already a subscriber, you should remember that you can sign up to read all of that brilliant Spurs coverage as well as all the other stuff that's going on on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just a pound a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back next Monday um, when we revert, as I say, to two shows a week. Thank you for listening now and thank you for listening in the future. The Athletic.